Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Marketing Ops Confessions. I'm super, super excited to have Kimmy Corrigan from Wiz on today, and I will get to a full introduction in just a second. Um, the first thing we like to do is just a few housekeeping notes. Um, feel free to leverage the chat, get active. This is a great place to connect with people, um, share your questions in the chat or share your questions in the questions tab as well. And we'll get to those during Q and A. And also keep your eye out for some polls. We like to kind of get a pulse check from the audience on some of the topics that we're talking about today. And this session is recorded. You can find all of the past sessions of Marketing Ops Confessions on the landing page if you scroll all the way to the bottom if you wanna access those videos. Um, very exciting news. If you have participated in Marketing Ops Confessions previously, you know that we have a little giveaway incentive. Um, we just wrapped up our drone giveaway and uh, notified the winner. And so now we're excited to introduce our latest giveaways for May and June. And so in May, we're giving away a Yeti cooler. And in June, we're giving away three Wink Wine subscriptions. So I know everyone here is excited about that because if you're here, that means you've earned an entry into the May giveaway. So keep coming back, tell your friends. It's just um, a great way for you to hear from the thought leaders and also maybe get a little something for yourself too. Okay, without further ado, um, I'm super excited to introduce Kimmy Corrigan, director, newly announced director of marketing ops and strategy at Wiz. And Kimmy, I've already learned so much from in our prep sessions, and I'm just really excited to uh, for all of you to hear what she has to say. So Kimmy has a an MA in communication and leadership. She's a Marketo champion, alumni, a certified Marketo expert, and inaugural member of Marketo's Fearless 50 Marketing Leaders. That is a lot and that you are amazing. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are excited to have you. And I'm just going to drop this screen share so we can dive into our questions. Great. So um, I, I think the first thing I want to talk about is really just your journey, your journey into marketing ops and what that looked like and the necessary steps to get to, you know, the yeah. inaugural Marketo Fearless 50, because that's a big deal. That's a big accolade that a lot of people in the marketing ops professions aspire to have. So let's hear kind of like how you got there. Yeah, it's been a journey. I, I got into marketing ops at a really great time. I feel lucky. Marketing ops wasn't really a function when I started in my professional career. My first role was at a small company and um, I learned how to run a Salesforce report and the company at the time had a tool called Silver Pop. If anyone is remembering Silver Pop from a long oh, time yeah. ago. And I sort of learned how to use that tool and I was like, oh, I really like this part of my job. And it was maybe 10% of what I spent my time doing. And I just knew I really liked it. So I knew the next role I wanted to go into, I wanted it to be more of my job. So that's what I did. I found a company that had that function that needed that person to do more of that. So then it became 50% of my job. And then I really started leaning into it. Um, I was using Marketo by then. I had gotten to know other users and the community was sort of coming up together. So I wanted to make that my full-time job and got lucky enough to find a company that could warrant that and then build a team there. And that led me to Duo Security. Uh, a little over six years ago, and I got to be the first marketing ops hire there, which 
a startup is a great place to go for marketing ops if you really want to get into it. And I spent the past six years at Duo Security um, as the first marketing ops hire and building out that function and growing a team over the past six years. And a few years ago, we were acquired by Cisco and then spent the last two years of my time there figuring out how um, what an integration of a startup acquired by Cisco is like and how that works in the Cisco world and and all of the things that come with that and led an amazing team there and just recently decided to take my leave of that role and starting again next week with someone new. So I'm going to Wiz next week and I'll be the director of marketing ops and strategies. So sort of what I know, but also expanding my horizons into some other marketing functions. Um, and I'm really excited about that. So that is 16 years in a nutshell, but um, <laughs> I just kind of found something that I liked and kept asking for more of it, which I think is how a lot of people in marketing ops get there. Yeah, absolutely. I love hearing your journey. Um, okay, so on the topic of Cisco, I want to dig into this acquisition because we yeah. talk a lot about tech stack ownership and how to protect the stack on this series and things like that. But something that we don't necessarily uh, discuss is what do you do when you inherit a tech stack and various processes that are tied to that? And, you know, obviously you went through this major acquisition with Cisco, which is so exciting, but can be such a daunting operation when it comes to actually merging teams yeah. and tech stacks and processes. So I'd love to dig into that and, and understand, you know, how did you approach inheriting somebody else's tech stack? You know, yeah. what are the techniques that you used? Yeah. Yeah. And this can happen, whether it's just, it happened many jobs ago where I, my small company merged with our biggest competitor, which was also a small company. And you have to like figure mm -hmm. out who are we keeping? What are we keeping? Same thing. Um, being acquired by Cisco the past six months there, I spent a lot of time figuring out with another marketing ops leader of, okay, we know we're moving into one Salesforce in, you know, instance together. That means we have two different automation systems. How are we going to deal with that? Which one are we going to go to? Um, and so all of those situations can be very different, but a lot of the things to think about are the same. Um, yes, you want to think about the technology. Some technologies we feel are superior to others based on our businesses. Um, technical debt is a real thing. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but it is something we should consider when thinking about which tool to go to, how painful it will be to remove things and, and go to your preference. But mostly, I think the most important thing is think about the people that you have there. Um, if you have multiple things uh, technology-wise that you have to examine and decide which one is the best, there are some technical things that you can check boxes on. But mm. the people that are using that technology um, are really should be a big part of that decision. And I know not everyone stays everywhere forever. But the team is really important. And if you can remove the emotional attachment to the technology, but think about how will this affect the people here who actually understand our business, understand our systems, understand the nuance, that should be really be a factor as well. So um, something I would say is to just have a ton of empathy. I think after the past year, we all have more empathy for each other at work than ever. But in those situations where there's emotion to certain technologies, there's emotion to 
I've poured the last X amount of years into building out this machine for someone mm -hmm. to come in and say, we don't want that is really painful. Um, have empathy for people, even if they build something or use something in a way that is different than you and maybe wouldn't be the way you use it, or maybe you don't think it's up to, you know, scratch for you have empathy for people. We don't understand why something was built a certain way. We don't understand the circumstances around that. We don't understand the training that they did or did not have. So I would say overemphasize the empathy when you're thinking about how to deal with inheriting someone else's work. And then hopefully um, when, when they're inheriting your work as well, that they can return that empathy and treat, you know, hey, we're all just doing our best here. We're all just trying to get ahead together. So if you're going to be here, then be here is something I would say to my team a lot as we struggled through certain pain points of acquisition. Um, sure, we can have a, a quick sesh where we can vent and we can complain if we need to. But really, like if you're going to be here and be part of this and be part of inheriting something, then you have to be here. So let's mm -hmm. work and just forward together. I love that. And I think that having that attitude, especially as a, a leader, encourages people to ask more questions and share more about how they're feeling. And so I'm wondering, like, can you can you recall like one of those conversations and maybe share like what were some of the things that you heard? Like what were some of the questions that were asked and, um, you know, maybe your responses to those? Yeah, so we definitely went through some some pain points where, you know, we do things to a, a certain way. And my team and I feel like we were we held ourselves to a very high standard, both operationally, um, both as communicators, um, how we met the standards of our work. We really, you know, I feel lucky. I had an amazing team where I always felt like very high performing, always meeting people with kindness and empathy. And going into those situations where you're trying to share best practices with others. Um, I definitely have people, my team coming back to me and saying like, they're, you know, people aren't listening. People don't care. It's their way or the highway. We don't matter in the situation, which um, is hard to hear for people you care about. And you want to make sure that you're hearing them. You're talking to them. You're respecting that they had an experience, but also as a leader, you need to make sure you're reaching out to the people that your team is interacting with and understanding their perspective, how they're being, um, how they're interpreting what your team is bringing to the table, because maybe to them, they're seeing like, Hey, that team just thinks they know everything and they actually don't. And this is unfair. So mm -hmm. everyone's leaving the table unhappy. And as a leader, I think it's bringing people back to the table together and having both perspectives and sort of being that translator and um, kind of smoothing things over, but also, getting the people on your team to see the other side and getting those people on the other side to also get to know your team. Like we're all just people, we're all doing our best again. Tons of empathy for each other can solve a lot of these problems and at least get us in a room together to talk about these things in a beneficial way versus a finger pointing way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And so, okay, so once you've had these conversations, and we're, we, you have this alignment, you have this synergy that you've created between these teams, um, like, what was the decision that you decided to make all together around tech, yeah. stack and process? Yeah, and well, it's interesting, because I sort of left. <laughs> why that was <laughs> happening. Um, so for me, I got to a point where it was like, 
these are the things that I think are best for the shared group going forward. And mm-hmm. for the people on my team that have been on my team, but also for the people that would be on my team as a shared organization, like this is what I think could be best for the people and for the business. And um, some of those things were received and said, yeah, we agree. And some things weren't. And that's okay. That has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with um, how I sold something. I don't take, you know, any guilt with me. It's just everyone has a different perspective. And some people have more and different information than I have. If I think this technology is the best and here's why, and I have 10 reasons and I could write a dissertation about it, there still might be other factors that, are going to prevent that from happening. So again, removing my emotion from that situation and saying, okay, I've done what I can do. I've done my due diligence and I've presented what I think is the best and it's not always going to go my way and that's okay. Um, and so sometimes you get what you want and sometimes you don't and it's you know no harm, no foul. And something I think we talked about the other day that I think is really interesting, especially when you're bringing together technology stacks or inheriting things um, in my experience, sometimes you're using the same exact tool. So mm-hmm. we're using an attribution tool. Another team was using the same attribution tool. So it was a no brainer to say, yes, going forward as a shared organization, we will use this tool. Then you start to dig into the details and realize you use the tool completely differently. So although it's easy to say, we're going to use this, you still have to do the same work. You still have to do the same due diligence to say, well, how do you use it? How do we mm-hmm. use it? Where do we differ? Where is it the same? What kind of foundation to use that tool do we have to align on before we can even think about aligning within the tool? Um, So even when you're in agreement, there's still so much work to do on some of those things. So um, if you have those things to work through together as a shared organization, I would attack those things first because at least you're already on the same page. It's just how do we problem solve this together? So then when you go into those tougher conversations with maybe some more emotion attached, maybe some more, you know, feelings and pushing and pulling, you'll be already in a better place with, you know, trust, rapport, empathy for each other, feeling a sense of one team. So if there are some easier wins, go after those things first to sort of get those teams interacting together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and something that I saw, you know, from my time on the agency side and and seeing acquisitions like this happen across clients is you start to sometimes see this like the lack of documentation comes back to bite you in those scenarios and i'm just curious if you ran into that like you know on either side where it was like ooh, we should have documented that because now we're trying to explain it and make a case to use this process or tech and we don't have our documentation to back it up. Yeah, I was lucky to be on the side where my team has been so good at documenting things. And that's a culture that I think I contributed to to start of document everything and keep your documentation up to date. I know that's the harder part, but document everything because then when you have to share this with other people, whether it's through like an acquisition merger situation Mm -hmm. or just bringing someone new onto the team or trying to communicate with a different group internally, you will be so happy you have that documentation. Um, We refer to that documentation all the time, even in our small team. Um, It's not always just for other people, but document things from the start. Just 
just force yourself to build it into your culture. Every process should be documented. Um, it will make sharing successes of marketing ops easier. It will make onboarding new people easier. It will make working with other teams easier. And if you are ever in a situation where you're comparing and contrasting with another team for some sort of merger type situation of technology, mm -hmm. you will be light years ahead of the game and be much more likely to have your processes kept in place, to have your technologies be, you know, kept. Um, I can't say enough about documentation. It's, I think, something that everyone in marketing ops is usually pretty good at. But if you are not doing it to its fullest extent, just build it into the culture of your team. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, it takes time and it can be a pain, but it's so worth it. It's so worth yeah. it. Um, and for me, like sometimes when you're moving so quickly, like you you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. So it's important to also have leadership to help guide you, you know, or, or have that be a guiding principle and, and let them remind you like this yeah. is important because of X, Y and Z. Yeah. And let's make sure we do it. We use documentation sort of as a problem solving tool. A lot of times in marketing ops, I'm sure most people that are here um, have had to do some sort of detective work. We always joke around of like, oh, put on your detective hat. And I find the best way to, to solve some of those what happened mysteries is to open up a Google Doc or whatever you use and you're reading activity logs. And I'm literally sort of like typing a short story about this person. You know, mm -hmm. Joe came to the website at 1.48 p.m. He filled out the trial form at 1.49. And then I saw all of these data changes at this time and sort of just write that story out. So we sort of reverse engineer our problem solving and like turn it into a story. And then we can share that doc and then we can start to, okay, let's look at 10 other people and like categorize them of like same problem here, same problem here. But these two people had something mm -hmm. different. Um so that has worked really well for me and my team of just sort of documenting everything. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's like a, an opportunity for double life as a uh, private investigator there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm also really good at finding people on, you know, social media and stuff. Like that, so. <laughs> I love to hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, finding your people like when you think yeah. about your team because you expressed to me like and and today like how amazing your team it was and I'm sure is now um and I'm just curious like how did you like what kinds of things did you do or how did you find those people like how did you create such an amazing team and then thinking about the acquisition like that obviously changes that dynamic so you know, what does it look like when with your existing team, when you go through that, when you care about them so much, and now you have all these new people to add to it? Yeah, I, I mean, one, I think I just got really lucky. Um, I, I built an amazing team while I was at Duo and felt so lucky to do so. And at the rate I had to hire my team, it was approximately one person a year. So I feel like we had a lot of time to build that culture up. So the first person I brought on was someone, um, her name is Lauren Posendek. She's an incredibly talented marketing ops professional. And I knew Lauren, she was an intern at a company I'd worked at before Duo. And she didn't work in marketing ops, but she had a real knack for like building smart list and understanding the th stuff that I was working on. So when I had an opportunity to hire someone, I just remember thinking like, I'm definitely going to talk to Lauren. She had started doing a little marketing ops work, but I could just tell, um, I think a big thing in marketing ops is obviously experience is amazing, 
but someone that just has the mindset and more than that has the excitement over marketing operations and building things and marketing automation tools. It's not for everyone, but if it is for you, it's very clear that, you know, you get excitement over building super sweet workflows that do amazing things that don't clog up the sink that do this. There's a hundred ways to build things in the automation platform, but there are two or three really good ways. So if you find people who get like super jacked up about those two or three really good ways, those are your people. So um, that was someone that Lauren was when I hired her. So as I continued to build that team, I looked for people who got excited about that kind of thing. They maybe had no Marketo experience if that's the tool we were using, but I could tell they really liked problem solving because I think a majority of marketing ops is problem solving. Sometimes it's proactive problem solving. A lot of times it's reactive problem solving. So looking for those qualities and people over the technical experience, um, myself and most of the people on the teams I built aren't super technical people. Um, yes, I can hack some HTML. I can set up some API stuff. I can, you know, do enough stuff to be dangerous, but I'm not a super technical marker. I'm not a programmer, you know, mm -hmm. in life. And a lot of people are, and I think that's amazing. Um, but just finding people that were excited about the work is I think the best way to go, because if you're not excited about marketing ops, you're probably not going to have a good time. It's not like a sexy job where you're getting tons of public accolades. Mm -hmm. um, naturally, you can work to show off that work, but it's not, you know, a super high, you know, surface level job where people are seeing your work all the time. So you have to find people who can like be your own internal hype squad. Oh, I love that. The internal hype squad. It's which is huge. Like if you can't get excited about it, then why would anybody else get excited about it? Yes, you definitely gotta be a marketing ops nerd. And I say that with like so much pride. I'm a huge marketing ops nerd and I always will be. So you gotta find those people. Yeah, I love it. Marketing ops nerd for life. <laughs> okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, and also because like I know your team was primarily made up of some amazing women. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit about like being a woman in marketing ops leadership, which is a rarity, um, and tech in general, you know, we obviously know there's a disparity there across the board. And I know it's something you're also really passionate about. So, you know, when we first started talking, we were like, women just can get shit done faster yes. and more effectively. Um, <laughs> I think there are scientific studies on this. Um, but, but like, does that actually harm us, you know, especially in such a technical role? Like, how does that prevent you from shifting from execution to leadership? Because, you know, it's really hard to let go of that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I reflect and think I'm a woman in a technical role, um, at least for marketing, you know, marketing ops is very technical and I'm working in security and cybersecurity, very technical. And I'm just like, Whoa, how did I get here? Um, also I'm awesome. So that's how I got here, but it, it can be a bit overwhelming. And I think you're right. Um, I see so many talented women in marketing operations and very, very talented men as well. But I see very few women in the highest levels of leadership when it comes to marketing operations. And I think in marketing ops as a whole, you can get caught up in that like workhorse mentality, especially if you're like a small team or a team of one, you're doing everything. 
like you're administrating the system. You probably have your hand in Salesforce or whatever CRM system you're using. You are setting up integrations. You're also sending the emails. You're building landing pages. You're troubleshooting data. Like you are doing so many jobs. And as your team grows, um, if it does grow, you have trouble letting go of some of that stuff. It was really hard for me when I brought Lauren on and I started handing things off to her. I was like, oh, this is great. But also, who am I now? And I figured it out. I found more things to do. And then as we built more and more people on that team, like the moment I realized I wasn't even logging into Marketo every day, I was just like, holy crap, who am I? And what value do I even bring here if I'm not checking a hundred boxes a day and getting these things done for people and being there for every Slack message when they say, Hey, something looks funny. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people get caught up in that workhorse mentality in marketing ops, which there's a lot of work to be done. So of course we need people to get it done. And I think women specifically have trouble letting go of that to-do list, um, high that we can all get. Um, someone on my team was out last month for a week and we sort and she's the person that does all of our day-to-day requests, keeps the business running so important. So we split up her work and I was like, Ooh, I'll take some list processing. Like I haven't done that in a while. And I processed a few event lists, like the high I felt of like, Oh my gosh, I had things to do and I did them and they're done. I was just like, that's why I loved what like the work I was doing four years ago, because that was my day all day. I was just like, I am doing things all day. This is amazing. I'm checking them off. Um, but um, if people can push past that, um, that growth period where you're kind of like questioning, like what value am I bringing? I'm not doing those things anymore, but I'm doing other things. Um, it's just a different way of feeling that completion feeling. It's you're not checking that list every day. You're not getting requests done in 24 hour periods. You might be working on a project for months at a time. But I think if people can push through to that first big win, um, they'll they'll start to realize, oh, I am contributing here. It's just in a much different way. And I think women have a harder time making that leap to letting go of that constant finishing uh, and helping of people. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think women are amazing. And it was really hard for me. But I think I would love to see more women in the top levels of leadership with marketing ops and strategy. Um, Cause there are so many talented women in the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that advice. And I think too, like women are just naturally um, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but like we're naturally micromanagers because where there's so many things that we're managing, whether you're a parent and you're trying to organize that part of your life or um, you're just an organized, an organizer at heart that likes to kind of control things like that's just part of the, the, the side of you um, as a woman that is, is often hard to let go of. Yep, I agree. So go for it, girls. <laughs> yes, yes. So, okay, this is a good time to ask then, you know, what yeah. is your wish for other women in marketing ops, you know, and as an industry, like what should we be striving for? Um, so, yeah, I would love to see more women in the highest levels of leadership, but more than that to like, I think there's definitely studies out there and I've, you know, read some of those stats about like men will apply for jobs if they meet X percentage of qualifications. Women won't apply for jobs unless they meet like 100% of those qualifications. And having just gone through that job search time, I co- I totally relate to that. So I think it's more, 
I would love to see women and everyone in general in marketing ops trust themselves to understand you see so much of the business in marketing ops. You're helping every team. You're involved in almost every system. You're in like the nitty gritty details of those things. I truly think marketing ops professionals are the next leaders of companies. Those are the next, you know, VPs, CROs, CEOs, COOs. Um, like, I think we underestimate the skill set that we're building over these years and where it can take us. So I would like for more people to just start taking those leaps into leadership if that's what interests them. Um, and it doesn't have to be just marketing ops. Um, I start a new role next week. I'm thrilled. I'll be involved in marketing operations, but also a marketing strategy. And that's going to be involving in a lot of other pieces of marketing that I'm so excited to push myself. But of course, I'm nervous of like, oh, that's a stretch for me in some of these. It's stuff I know how to do, but I really want to push myself and mm -hmm. learn from my new um, manager about all of these different areas of marketing and how to be excellent at more things. And let's all take the leap. So I would love for people to see that and I do that. that. Um, yeah. And then for the, the, the space in general, um, I'm excited to see kind of what the next phase of technology looks like. I'm still a technology nerd at heart. I love marketing technology. Um, I love Scott Brinker's thoughts lately on no code as someone, like mm -hmm. I said, not super, super technical. I love no code solutions. So I'm excited to see like what's coming out over the next couple of years that can help enable marketers to do even more with less of a like programmer or engineer background. Yes, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, thank you. That was great advice. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit, get, get a little bit more in the weeds around marketing ops. And when we were talking before, you mentioned, you know, you have to find creative ways to get others to see the value of marketing operations. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. And I think a lot of people will say that, but let's dig into that. Like, what are, like, can you share some examples of like, what are some of those creative ways? Like, what are some tactical things that, that we could go do tomorrow that would, showcase that value. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different layers to this. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. I remember something else I did at a company, a few companies ago. Um, I was trying to get the people more on the demand gen side to understand um, marketing ops when it came to targeting. You know, they were always saying, I want to send an email to X group. So I created something called the Smarty Awards where I would send them like a description of a list that they were going to target. Like I want to target people in healthcare with this job title that have done these things and they would build a smart list in Marketo and then send them to me. And I would sort of judge them and say, here's who got really close or here's the best way that you built that list. The winner would get smarty candy, of course. Oh and like really award. But that was a good way to build like internal understanding of what we do. Um, but like, if you want to zoom out and make people in your organization as a whole, like if you want people in sales to appreciate you or customer success or some other team, um, use your skill set for an internal campaign, you know, put a few of those people in your database, obviously do all of the data work to keep them out of your other workflows, et cetera. You guys are marketing ops people, so you can figure out how to do that. Um, <laughs> send them emails, send them direct mail, add a text step in there, like show them the power of what your machine can do um, and get them involved with that. And then never turn down an opportunity to share marketing ops work in a larger all hands space. So I know a lot of times in marketing ops, we can say like, 
well, like if we're doing our job well, no one really knows it, which yes, that's true. No one really knows what we're doing unless something's on fire, but let's start showing them things that aren't on fire and why it's important and get excited about it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you rebuild your lead life cycle and suddenly it takes your leads two minutes instead of 11 minutes to sync from like form fill to ADR queue, tell people that story. Those nine minutes are important. Get anecdotal evidence from the ADRs of why those nine minutes might matter. Tell them how you did it. Obviously, you don't want to just screenshot your automation platform. That's not going to be the most exciting, but figure out how to be a storyteller to people and share the magic of marketing ops. Cutting out those nine minutes is amazing, and it should be something that everyone appreciates and understands and show the value of what your team is doing, not just like email campaigns that are performing well, awesome landing pages, like show them the inner workings of what you're doing and why it matters to the company and and never turn it down the opportunity to do so. I love all of that so much. Your Smarties um, campaign is is fantastic. And um, I also love that you're thinking about when you say put people through your campaign, like you're not just thinking email because you're like, yes, we'll do that. We'll throw you in the nurture. Sure. You're like, expanding that, send them a direct mail piece. I mean, imagine the increase in impact that that has versus just sending an email. And that's something that if you're not on the marketing ops side or part of that campaign, you would look at and you'd be like, wow, I'm really proud of this team. I'm really proud that like this is coming from, from our team. Um, One of my favorite things we got Sendoso is we wanted to test out some of the items and see what they look like. How long did they take to ship? So we would send like, you know, someone's getting cookies, someone's getting this pinata, someone's getting this cake um, and letting them know like, hey, we're just, you know, we're testing Sendoso, but we're going to send these to you and customize it. Like, let us know how it goes. Um, use, yeah. use things selectively and, and show people what you're doing. Love it. Um, okay. So one more question before we get yeah. to one more question from me before we get to audience questions, which we have a few of. Um, I think you know, we kind of know where this is going to go, but like, where are you really focusing your energy these days and why, and, you know, kind of, um, in a way that this could be advice to others. Yeah. So I'm obviously in this transition period. I start my new job on Monday. I've been on sabbatical for a few weeks, which I highly recommend. So that's my first advice. If you could take a few weeks off between jobs, do so. Um, but I've been spending a lot of my time just challenging my own beliefs. I think switching jobs is a great point to do that, but don't wait for that. Um, listen to other thought leaders. There's certainly my favorite thought leaders who I'm off often nodding my head with, cause I agree with a lot of what they're saying. Um, but even go outside that, listen to other podcasts, audiobooks, follow people on LinkedIn that you're not familiar with in your space. Um, so I'm really challenging my own history of beliefs. I don't want to go into Uh, a new job next week and just assume we're going to do the things the same way I've always done them. So I want to open my mind to other ways of looking at marketing, ways of tracking performance, technology usage, all of those things. Um, So I've been spending a lot of my time listening to podcasts, audiobooks, reading, you know, thought leadership on LinkedIn. There's a lot of good stuff out there. So I've been in this like huge intake of learning phase, which is exciting Um, it's also, you know, causes you to panic of like, wait, there's like a whole other world out there of thinking that I'm not thinking about, but take comfort to know like, but I'm open to it. So I'm listening, I'm trying. Um, so that's what I've been spending a lot of my time on lately is just kind of 
learning mode. We can get really busy out of learning mode. And I think that's totally understandable. But I think if you just make it part of your daily practice to say, you know, I'm going to listen to, you know, 20 minutes of this podcast today, or I'm going to read, you know, three LinkedIn posts from thought leaders that I follow, like just building it into your day can make a huge difference. So that's what I've been doing. And I'm really enjoying it. I love it. Well, we actually have a few questions around um, books and writers and podcasts, which I'll get to in a second. But I did want to ask because you said you're challenging your belief. So what's one belief, you know, in the world of marketing ops that in the last year you're like, oh, like maybe I need to have a different perspective on this? I don't want to track MQLs anymore. I think and this is not something new. You know, this this is the thought leadership that everyone's talking about. And I think it's the hot new thing to say, no more MQLs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, um, I'm really excited to get started my new job next week so I can ask my new boss of like, what kind of metrics are we tracking? And I'm just hoping yeah. it's not MQLs because I think that they have been, you know, MQLs have become something that they shouldn't be for people. It's just this number that we have to meet. And even if we blow it out of the water with kind of crappy leads, that's okay. Cause we met our number. So mm-hmm. I want to do that anymore. <laughs> I love it. Um, I have said before that, like, I'm sort of like a parent when it comes to MQLs, like I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed yes. because <laughs> what we've made MQLs today is not what it should be. And not like, I don't think the MQL is dead per se, but I think it's a critical stage that we need to evaluate, but I don't think it holds as much weight as it used to. Yeah, absolutely agree. So yeah, that's Love it. like, I want to be done with that. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> okay. That was great. Um, okay. Let's follow up on some of these questions. Cause I know people are anxious to hear. I, we have two questions okay. around um, books, writers, podcasts, yeah. must reads for, um, and one other question that I won't pull up here was specific around personal and professional development in the space. Yeah. Yes. Um, so some of my, I have been doing a lot of listening and reading the past few weeks because I've been off work. So I have some great stuff that I'd love to share. So um, I obviously marketing ops and I work in security. Um, so my, my current list, I even wrote it down, um, just general marketing leadership um, and sort of more on the demand gen side. Chris Walker from Refine Labs is my go-to these days. I love what Chris is doing. Um I don't ever catch the live shows because they're on Tuesday nights and, you know, I'm taking kids to soccer practice or whatever, but I listen to his podcast as much as possible. The amount of content he puts out is amazing. And I'm just constantly like nodding my head on my walk while I'm listening to Chris. (laughs) If you don't follow Chris, I would highly recommend that. Um, From a security perspective, if there's any other security folks on here, Smashing Security is my favorite. It's so relatable. It's not super technical. It just kind of keeps me apprised of news in the security space. Um, from a human perspective, I'm, I'm always making sure I'm listening to something sort of more fun. So right now I'm listening to Colin Joe's book, um, A Very Punchable Face. It's great so far. I'm loving it. Um, so I always try to make sure I have something mixed in that's a little more fun, but I like those human stories of people. Um, and I also just listened to Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight. Oh. You haven't listened to that. Also amazing. Nice. Um, so I would recommend those. And I also follow Dan and Chip Heath. They have a ton of great books. I'm in the middle of listening to Decisive, which is about decision-making. I started listening to it as I was trying to figure out where my career was going, which was probably somewhat helpful, but also 
made me question my decision making at every turn because it's really made me reevaluate how we make decisions. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a good time to be listening to this book because it's telling me pro con lists are not helpful as I'm writing out pro con lists. So hmm. that's a great one. And from more on the marketing ops side, specifically in marketing tech, um, Scott Brinker from Chief Martech is a go-to for me. Um, anyone in the Mops Pros group, um, if you guys aren't a member there, look up Mops Pros, um, Atumos, um, some of the leadership that thought leadership they put out, I think is really great from a how to structure your team perspective. Um, and if anyone's a Marketo nerd, anything Sanford says is golden as well. So those are kind of the top lists for me these days. Amazing recommendations. We will get those yeah. into one list and we'll share them out on our LinkedIn because those are some solid recommendations. Um, okay, let's look at a few other questions. We've got a lot of questions. I love it. Um, here's one from Samantha. How do you get buy-in and handle change management so people are bringing ops into the conversation sooner and making us part of the strategy rather than order takers? I would say as soon as possible, set some really strong standard operating procedures and it will get people to start including you sooner rather than later pretty quickly. You know, if, if someone wants to do a webinar series, here's how many weeks ahead of time that you have to have everything submitted to marketing ops. Or if you mm. want to send an email or if you want to have an integration, outline those, make them publicly shareable and where and when you can, as you get into that, say no, if they're not meeting your standards. Um, there's always going to be exceptions, of course, but set those operating procedures as soon as possible and stick with them. Yes, it might only take me 10 minutes to build your email, but the reason I need three days to do it is because we have a calendar. We want to make sure that we're sending people the right stuff at the right time. And you're not the only customer. Of course, you can find mm -hmm. a nicer way to say that to people, but set your standards and boundaries and stick to them as often as you can. And then people will start including you in that conversation at the right time. Yeah. Oh, great answer. Um, and just speaking from the agency side, like we would get that question all the time from clients, like, why is this taking five days? Why is this taking this amount of time? And it's, it's exactly that. It's like, you have to consider all of the other things. Like, of course you want your customers and your clients to feel like they're the most important, but the reality is, is that there's a bunch of other things happening too. Yeah. And, and, so, you know, internally, less on the agency side, but you know, someone was like, well, I want to send this email out today. And it's like, why are you just now thinking about it? Mm. Maybe think that through, and maybe next time you should plan ahead. Yes. Yeah. Please no day of email sends. Yeah. That's not a good idea. Uh, okay. Here's one more. What are some tools, platforms that you love or make your job easier? Oh, I like this one. Um, so the last six years at Duo Cisco, I think one of my favorite tools outside of like Marketo, um, Rike. So W-R-I-K-E, it's a project management platform. Um, I had an amazing project manager named Erica while I was there and she sort of owned the use of Rike and we used it for our intake form. So anything you wanted marketing ops to do, there was a form where you filled it out and the way that our workflows were set up were flawless and helped everyone stay organized and really held people accountable to submit things according to the timelines with final content and everything else we needed. Um, so that tool is amazing. Um, a tool I'm really looking forward to using um, that I use personally that I'm hoping to bring into my next role is Airtable. So I don't know if there's any other Airtable nerds out there, but I am loving Airtable for so much. Their templates are incredible. So 
that's something I'm really looking forward to using. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I've used reg before and I agree. We, and we've used it for the same like um, process, which it, it's one of the only PM tools that I feel like really allows for that to be seamless. Yeah. So if um, anyone on here that doesn't have an intake form for marketing ops, I think that's pretty standard now, but if you don't build one, whether it's through Reich, Google forms, build a free one, build an intake request form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I know the answer to this one because I think you just said you, you, you are in favor of Airtable. Yeah, um, but if there's any other, there, there's actually two questions around like your favorite no code tools. Um, so if there's any others you want to call out. Yeah. Um, I think Canva is a great tool. I think most people are using it these days and I sort of can do enough illustrator and Photoshop to be dangerous. But once I started using Canva, I'm like, why bother? So, um, tools like Canva, Airtable, um, trade.io, um, Atumos has a great tool called Flowboost. That's a great connector type tool. Um, and one on my list that I don't know a lot about, but I was reading about it recently. was something called obviously.ai. So I think that's more of like a data visualization tool that is much easier for some of us less technical folks to use. So that's on my list to investigate as well. But there's so many good ones out there. There are. It's it's overwhelming, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's see. Matt Brinker just shared an article that he was mentioned in that talks specifically about no code marketing tech. So find that yeah. on Twitter. It was really interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think there's like a new um, chart or something that kind of like has all of those tools um, visualized as well. Um, Okay, let's look at one more question as I know we're running out of time, but this is a good one too. So um, (laughs) wouldn't it, good storytelling, wouldn't it be great if a lot of marketing ops processes or demand marketing workflows are automated so top of funnel lead gen is an easy game rather than rather time consuming and cumbersome. If you can, what platform would you use to automate demand marketing workflows? I don't know. That's a great question that I would have to noodle on. Yeah, I think it probably starting with something homegrown. So what works for you and your team? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have a specific technology for that one, but that's a great question. But I would say um, get in a room with your team, figure out what are those processes that are cumbersome? And is there something that we already have that we can kind of piece together for a, a few months to see what's working, what's not working, and then go find the right tool to fix that? I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge tech nerd. But I think building something homegrown can be a great place to kind of do your own, um, like your own trial of like, what do we actually need? Everyone wants to go out and buy a tool, but like, what kind of problems are you actually trying to solve? Um, So I know that's not a very direct answer, but that's a great question. Yeah, definitely start with the problem and the objective. And then I agree, like look at your existing tech stack and don't immediately go to the next new shiny thing. You know, like we use HubSpot, but there are some things that are problematic when I want to automate a new workflow with a tool that doesn't integrate with HubSpot. So my first instinct is to go to like Zapier and see what I can do there before I say, oh, let's rip it out. We need something completely new. Yeah. I think sometimes people let the tech drive the process or the strategy, and we really need to make sure the strategy and process um, are driving us to the right technology. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. I know we are slowly running out of time. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the amazing questions, everybody. Um, 
feel free to find me on LinkedIn if you have follow-up questions or want to connect or talk about something. Um, I'm pretty easy to find there. I would love to connect with anyone who has questions. I love it. Well, um, and thank you to the audience. Great questions, great engagement. Uh, we hope you, you will come back and join us next week. We've got Jeff Ignacio from Upkeep joining us. He is the head of revenue and growth operations. So we get to start talking a little bit more about RevOps, which we do sometimes on this show. Um, and we also have other really amazing names coming up, like Sarah McNamara from Slack, Abby Ryan, Next Think, Brandon Benjamin. That's our uh, one of our Marketo 2021 champions. Um, so head over to the registration page. And if you haven't already, sign up for those additional sessions. And again, thank you so much for being here to the audience. And of course, you as well, Kimmy. Thank you.